1: I'd like to turn to the Gospel of John. We began going through the Gospel of John, and we will, hopefully, Lord willing, tonight go through verse 9 of John chapter 1. So we will just begin reading in verse 1 to get the full context. John chapter 1, and in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. This was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And that's what we want to focus on this evening is the true light, the true light of Jesus Christ. And as you read there in your King James Bible, you will see that light is capitalized, the true capitalized light, which is Jesus Christ. Now if you remember at the beginning of John chapter 1 in this prologue that is the first 18 verses of this gospel, the first 18 verses of John chapter 1, is a prologue that introduces these main topics and the gospel of John is proclaiming and defending the deity Of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it begins here at the beginning of the gospel that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And if we remember and go back to Genesis chapter 1, that that Word was God saying what? What were the first words of God in Scripture? Well, it's let there be light. And there was light, right? We find here that in him, in the word, in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ was life, and the life was the light of men. And Jesus affirmed that in his ministry, he affirmed that in the Gospel of John, didn't he? He said when he resurrected Lazarus that I am the resurrection and the life. He said in John chapter 14 and in verse six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So life comes from God, right? We see that in Genesis chapter one. We we see that both life and light come from God. So Jesus here is introduced as the word that was in the beginning with God. And again, what happened in creation, what happened in Genesis chapter one as the word came forth? The word came forth when God said, right? God said, let there be light, And there was light, right? So the nature of creation, we see that in natural creation, and we also see that in spiritual creation. The nature of creation is that God imposes his nature upon things that are dead and gives them life. God imposes his nature upon darkness and gives them light, right? We see that in creation. There was no life before God gave creation life, right? He's the one who, who formed Adam out of the dust of the earth, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. And he did the same thing with the animals. He created them out of dust, and then he gave them life. So, where does life come from? Where does life come from in a natural sense? Well, it comes from God, right? It came from God in creation. And it comes from God today as well. It's God that gives life in the womb of a mother. It's God that gives life. He's the sustainer of life. He's the giver of life. In him we live and move and have our being, right? So from Jesus Christ comes all manner of life. And from Jesus Christ comes light. He is light. It says in, I believe it's James chapter one, that in him is light and there is no darkness at all, right? God is all light. There's no darkness in him. There's no shady areas. There's no areas that are a little dim, right? No, he is all light. In him was life. Life comes from Jesus Christ and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not, And that's what happened when Jesus came into the world, right? He came into the world and he shined his light and darkness, first of all, did not understand it. Those that were unregenerate, those that were of the world, those that didn't have faith to see the actions of Jesus and to, uh, remember, it's by faith, Hebrews chapter 11, that we understand the worlds were framed and it's by faith that, that the elders believed a good report, right? That they saw the things of God and they attributed it to a higher power. But instead, those that were in darkness, those whited sepulcher Pharisees and scribes, those that were, as he says in John chapter eight, were of their father, the devil. Those that were in darkness, they did not understand or they just outright rejected that Jesus was God. Jesus said in John chapter three, at the latter half the latter portion of his conversation with Nicodemus, John chapter 3, and in verse 19, this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For every man that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. He that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought. In God, so He came into this world, and why did those wicked, why did sepulchre Pharisees hate Jesus? Why did the darkness comprehend it not? Why did they reject Him? Because Jesus came and shined light on the wickedness that they were already doing, and those that are living in darkness, boy, they do not like the light shining in their life to expose their true nature, right? See, that's what happened. When Jesus came and shined that light on the Pharisees, they were in total control of the religious society. Right? They were in total control in bond of putting the people, uh, the rank and file Jews, in bondage by this uh, this standard to obey the whole law. Otherwise, God's gonna send you to hell or hate you. So they they had control. They had power, and they could control people by their position and by the law. Well, Jesus said, how did he break it down on the Sermon on the Mount, right? You've heard. This is what you've heard from the Pharisees. But I say unto you. See, he was taking away their authority. He was shining light. See, that's what John the Baptist, we're going to see John the Baptist introduced here as the one that came to bear witness of that lie. Well, what did he start doing during his ministry? There were some Pharisees that came and said they want to be baptized, and he said, you generation of vipers, right? <laughs> you generation of vipers. You bring forth fruits, meet for repentance. In other words, you're just coming to see the dog and pony show. You're just trying to give this to, uh, to have a show of men. Your heart is not sincere. You're not having any change of action to display that you're truly repentant that should accompany baptism. So John starts to shine that light on the darkness and they didn't like him either. See, that's that's the reason why John got cast into prison and why he lost his life is because he shined light into the darkness of the wicked, sinful actions of Herod, right? He shined light in the darkness and guess what? The darkness didn't like it. The world didn't like it. Darkness does not like light being shined to expose their wicked deeds, right? And the same is true today. We are called as the church to be the light of the world, but if you let your light shine as you ought, now unfortunately you may be like me and sometimes in the middle of a conversation, in the middle of a situation, maybe I draw back a little bit more than I should. Maybe I I don't cover my light all the way up, but I might shield it just a little bit. I might put just a little bit of a bushel on it to to not ruffle any feathers. If you just live a godly life exhibiting the love of Jesus, being the light of the world, if you live that way, inevitably you are going to offend those that are in darkness. That's just the way things are, okay? Okay. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And why are you going to suffer persecution? Because the darkness doesn't like the light, right? Those that live in darkness do not like a spotlight being shown on their true wicked deeds when they give the pretense of religion or they give the pretense of godliness, So we are called to that same thing today, right? We are called as the light of the world to shine our light, and inevitably, if you shine your light the way you ought to, if you live as godly as you ought to, inevitably, you're going to shine your light in an arena where those that are in darkness are going to be exposed, and they're not going to like it. They're not going to like it, but that's okay because Jesus suffered for righteousness' sake, and he was persecuted for righteousness' sake, and it's our joy and privilege to follow in his example. So what happened? Jesus came into the world as the light of the world. He shined light into the darkness of that generation, and sometimes I think we lose sight of just how dark, how dark this environment that Jesus came in. I mean, this is a period where the Jews have had 400 silent years, right? 400 years where God has not sent a prophet. And in the midst of that vacuum, in the midst of this vacuum of a prophet standing up and saying, thus saith the word of the Lord, repent, 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 right? Which is most of the message of the Old Testament. In the the vacuum of there not being a prophet to say, thus saith the Lord, who got control and power? These wicked Pharisees, right? These and sepulchre Pharisees who were not concerned about God, they weren't concerned about religion. They were concerned about politics and power and control. You see, religion in the Jewish first century culture was the politics of the day. So if someone had a desire for power and authority to make financial gain over inappropriate deeds, which is people gravitate to politics to do that nowadays. If you wanted to be a politician in first century Judea, what was your ticket? What was your avenue? It was to be a Pharisee, right? And then on top of the darkness that was in the Jewish nation, you have the Roman Empire that's ruling over the Jewish nation and all of the darkness and the wickedness that's in Rome. So think about really how dark Think about how dark the world was when Jesus as the true light came into this world. It, it was great darkness, right? Well, one of the darkest periods in the history of the world, but yet there were still some people that gave the pretense of religion, right? I mean, they were still making the sacrifices, right? They were. There was people going up to the temple, but that temple was corrupted because it was a house of merchandise. It wasn't a house of prayer, and Jesus cast them out of the temple twice because of that. So... Uh, this was an environment where people were going through the motions in the pretense of religion. And there were people who gave the pretense of religion in leadership positions like the Pharisees. But it was a very dark place, right? It was a very dark religious place. So what happened? Jesus shows up and he shines the light. And what happens, If you've seen this in movies, right? What happens when the light shines? (laughs) That's when all the rats start scurrying, (laughs) And that's what Jesus did. He shined a spotlight upon the structure of Jewish religion. And understand, there were some good Pharisees, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea. There were some people that were good out there. But as a whole, as a whole, he shined a light upon the religion of that day. And there were a bunch of rats that started scurrying. Why? Because rats don't like the light, right? The light shined in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, Before Jesus fully came onto the scene, before his ministry came to public view, then we see that later on in the first chapter of John. Before Jesus' ministry came to public view, there was someone who was sent before him, right? To lay the groundwork, to be the forerunner, to be the voice crying in a wilderness. And that man was John. That man was John the Baptist. Now we're reading the gospel of John who was the apostle John who was the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, the two sons of thunder. But now we're talking about John the Baptist, right? So John the Baptist, verse six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And I like the way the Holy Spirit structured that sentence. Because in the ministry today, God calls regular men. Right? He calls regular men of the ministry. In the first century, he called fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. He he called regular people. Nowadays, he calls accountants like me. He calls regular people into this world. And Sometimes some ministers may tend to be elevated above their station and then some people may be viewed in the other direction. But this sets the right disposition that I believe we should all have toward the ministry. First of all, this man's a man, right? There was a man sent from God. First of all, we need to be reminded that your preacher, your pastor, myself included, all the ministry The best of men are only men at best, okay? The best of men are only men at best. It says in the Psalms that man in his best state is altogether vanity, and that applies to the preachers too. Now, we have a calling set upon us, and we need to be an example for the church. We need to set the tone, set the example that other people can follow, but at the end of the day, we're men. We're, we're men of like passions, just like you are. When Peter came and preached to Cornelius, Cornelius was all excited that this man from God was coming to preach to him. And he bows down, he starts worshiping him. And Peter says, stand up now, stand up. Because I am also a man. I'm a man. And that's who we are as the ministry. We're just men. We're just men. And men make mistakes. We're men of like passions. And think about Elijah. <laughs> He's the man that's used as that example, a man of like passions. Well, Elijah made a lot of mistakes, didn't he? He got depressed. He blamed God. Well, we, we struggle with that in the ministry too. At the end of the day, the ministry are just men. They're men. The best of men are only men at best. But there also needs to be a respect for the ministry because... It's not just a man. No, it was a man sent from God. A man sent from God. So we're men. We're men and we fail just like every other member of the church, just like every other person in this world. We fail and we have to ask forgiveness and we have to repent and we have to ask forgiveness at the end of the day and pray the Lord will bless us with grace to do better tomorrow, right? Just like everybody else. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. So a man, but he has a, Holy calling. Paul introduced many of his epistles by saying, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ by the will of God. I mean, it was God's will that called him. So God moved upon John and moved upon him in a special way, right? He was born again in his mother's womb, and and he was prophesied of even in the Old Testament. So he was a special man that was sent from God. But the ministry... They're they're only men, but they're sent from God. They have a holy calling, but also they are individuals. There's a man, he's sent from God, whose name is John, whose name is John. And that's something that I've had to learn in the ministry that, yes, I'm a man. Yes, I have a calling from God, but at the end of the day, I'm David. I'm David Wise. I mean, I, I can't be someone else. I, I, I can learn the positive attributes of other ministers. I can read other people, and I can improve my learning and my understanding and my knowledge. But I have to accept and understand that I can't be someone else. And there are, are ministers that I look up to that I try to model my ministry after, and that I learned much from their sermons. But you know what? I have to understand. I am not them, right? I, I am a man that I trust has been called from God, but at the end of the day, I have to follow God in the measure that I've been called unto. I think about those verses a lot, In I believe it's 1 Corinthians 10, or maybe Second Corinthians 10, but he says that I don't boast of things beyond my measure. You know, God has called me to this realm of influence. He's, he's called me to this area of ministry. And I don't boast of things beyond my measure. I mean, it's not my responsibility to be concerned about what I hear is happening three states away. My calling is to minister within the measure that I've been given, and the measure that I've been given is my local area and the church that I've been called to pastor and I want to do the best I can in the measure that I've been given with the gift I've been given. You know, I can't try to be somebody else. I have to make the best that I can with the gift that I've been given and be content to serve in the measure that I've been given within my pastorate and within my area and try to influence the kingdom to the best of my ability. And I've done my best to try to learn to be content in that. I mean, I don't boast of things beyond my measure. I try not to meddle in things that are not my business. No, it's my calling to minister within the measure that I've been given. And if you're serving God the best you can within that measure, the Lord's going to give you a lot to do within that measure where you don't really have time to be worried about other people's measure, right? You don't have time to be worried about uh, everything else that's happening nationwide or in the kingdom or anywhere else. No, God's going to give you a lot to do within your measure if you stay focused on that. So there was a man sent from God whose name was is John, and we need to be content to serve in the measure and in the ministry that God has given us. So John, what was his what was his calling? What was his ministry? And I love how John was so content in the calling in the ministry that God had given him. And he, he understood the whole time that my entire goal, and this should be the goal of the entire ministry today as well, my goal is not to build a following for myself. My goal is not for people to know my name. My goal is a short, temporary ministry to point people to someone that is better than me, right? He goes on to say in John chapter 3 that he must increase and I must decrease. He said that when his apostles came to him and said, John, we're losing all of our followers. We're losing the, the people that, that gave us this position and this notoriety. Your ministry is just going to fizzle out if all these people keep, and following, keep following Jesus. And John says, praise God, right? <laughs> John says, that's my whole purpose. My, my purpose is just to point people to Christ. I'm just a voice. You know, people don't, uh, I, I know that John is to be commended. I mean, I mean, John, Jesus says later on that of those that have been born of woman, there's not anybody greater than John the Baptist. I mean, he, he, he served God faithfully in an amazing way within the calling and the ministry that he'd been given. But he understood the whole time that my ministry is always a temporary ministry to pass the baton to Jesus Christ to point others to Jesus. And that's our goal today as well. Uh, It's not our goal for people to know my name. It's not my goal for people to view me as an impressive speaker or, or a preacher or a pastor. Again, I want to serve in the measure that I've been given. But my calling is not to lord over God's heritage. It's not to lord over other churches or other areas. My calling is simply to... Preach Jesus Christ, and to point others to Jesus Christ, and to be a voice crying in the wilderness. That's what the ministry is supposed to be. The ministry is just supposed to be a voice. It's supposed to just be something that points us to points others to Christ, to where we get out of the way. I heard a story about a minister that was having somebody uh, tell them about. Uh, this may have been Lonnie Mazingo Jr. I can't remember, but uh, which is good. I can't remember, I think. But uh, he was talking about somebody heard him preach or they heard a minister preach. And they were just saying how this sermon touched them and how powerful it was. And as they kept going on, uh, he realized that he was the one who preached that sermon. But the person that was telling him this, he said, I just can't remember who that, who that minister was at all. I can't remember his name for the life of me. But that... Message touched my soul. That should be our goal every time we preach, right? I I don't want anybody to know my name because I'm not that important. I, I don't want anybody to know my name. I just want someone, after they have heard a message that I've preached, I've been reading in Nehemiah this week and in Nehemiah chapter eight, it talks about them standing up before the people and they opened up the word of God and they read it distinctly They gave the sense thereof, and the people understood the Word of God and were glad and joyful. You know, that's what worship is supposed to be, right? I just want to stand up and and explain the Word of God distinctly, give the sense of it, and we trust that if the Holy Spirit applies it to make it preaching, that people understand what they hear, and they receive joy and gladness from it. And if that happens, and somebody can remember a sermon from 20 years ago, but they have no idea who preached it, <laughs> then you've done your job. You've done your job. Or are just supposed to be a voice. My name's not important. My name's not important. I'm just supposed to be a voice that points toward the light, right? I'm just supposed to be a voice that points toward Christ. And that was the purpose of John. John understood his ministry. He understood his calling. That it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me gaining influence or notoriety. It's not about people, me, or people knowing my name or me being an influence. Me, me being able to influence churches in other parts of the country. That's not my calling. My calling is for people to forget about me. <laughs> my calling is for people to not focus on me at all. My calling is for people to focus on Christ. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. And that light is capitalized, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Now, as we go through the Gospel of John, we're going to see a, whole, a lot of all-inclusive terms, right? We're going to see some everys. We're going to see some alls. We're going to see some worlds. And this is an introduction to some of those all-inclusive terms where it's very evident that, that this does not mean all of mankind without exception, right? Did John come that all men through him without belief might believe that all men without exception will believe on Jesus Christ? Well, no. We just saw a couple of verses before that. The darkness comprehended not, right? The darkness comprehended not. So that means all men without distinction, not all men without exception, right? Not... All men in the history of the world, not all of mankind, but all men out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue, neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free, uh, circumcision nor uncircumcision, bond or Scythian, right? All men without distinction, not all men without exception, but John came to preach the gospel that those would believe, right? Verse 8, John was not that light, but he came to and was sent to bear witness of that light. You know, John started preaching, and it was a very novel thing. He's out in the middle of the wilderness. He's dressed in these weird clothes, preaching this message, and he's baptizing people in water, which was just kind of a novel, didn't make sense kind of thing back in the day. So they said, who are you? John, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you that prophet? And he said, no, I'm not any of that stuff. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. I'm just the forerunner, to point others toward Jesus Christ. So he was not that light. And John was very clear when he was asked. He said, no, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the guy. I'm just the guy that comes before him to tell you about the guy, right? He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. In verse nine, that was the true light which lighteth, Every man that cometh into the world. So now we're getting into some every mans, right? Well, obviously we know that every man in the world was not lighted by Jesus Christ. No, there were people that hated him. There was darkness that tried to stamp out the light. Again, every man without distinction, not every man without exception. But Jesus is introduced here as the true light. The true light. Well, if Jesus is the true light, then that would indicate that there's the possibility of some false light, Right? So the possibility of some deceiving light, and that comes from Satan. That comes from Satan. You may know that Lucifer, who is the name of the angel that fell and eventually became Satan, Lucifer's name means morning star or day star. That's addressed in Isaiah chapter 14. We also see an account of Satan and Lucifer being in the Garden of Eden in Ezekiel 28, and it says in Ezekiel 28 and 17 that Satan was corrupted by his brightness and by his beauty. So Satan, Lucifer, is or began as a bright, beautiful star, figuratively as an angel, right? A morning star, even got the name Lucifer for a morning star or day star. And of course we know that Christ is the true day star, right? Right? 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. Jesus is the true day star. But Satan, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14 that Satan can even be transformed into an angel of light, right? I mean, Satan can present himself in such a way that he gives the pretense of being the light. And that can be very deceiving if we're not in tune with God's word. That's why we're told in 1 John chapter four that we need to try the spirits, try the spirits to see if they are of God. If anyone denies that Jesus come in the flesh, then that's, that's the false light. That's the spirit of antichrist. But Jesus is the true light that lighteth every man that, can, that comes into the world. And we talked about really how dark that world was when Jesus came on the scene it gave the pretense of light. It gave the pretense of a false light. But it was really in darkness. I mean, Satan was controlling and influencing the leadership in the Pharisees and the scribes. He says, you're whited sepulchres. You're of your father, the devil. But you know what? They were going through the motions of sacrifices. There was... a a priest that was going through the motions of all of the logistics of the temple. There were people that were reading the law in the synagogue every Sabbath day. I mean, they gave the pretense of light, but he said you were actually in darkness. So we have to discern the true light. And obviously the way that we discern the true light is through the word of God. The word of God is described, the gospel is being described as a light. The gospel is what brings life and then we're told to light, right? 2 Timothy chapter one and verse 10. And then we find in Psalm 119 that the, the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So how do we determine the true light? How do we determine the true light? It's by testing it and verifying it by the light of the Word of God, right? So Jesus Christ was that true light, and came into the world to light every man that cometh in the world, that all men through him might believe. It says uh, in the New Testament that the gospel is the savor of life unto life, or the savor of death unto death. Well, that's what happened when G- when the light came, right? It manifested the condition that people were already in. And those that had a born-again heart, that loved the Lord, they saw that, they believed, and they confessed Christ. They they were attracted to that light. But on the other end of the spectrum, those that were in darkness, the savor of death and unto death, they, they couldn't stand it. They couldn't stand it. And they wanted to silence and stamp out that light. But aren't you glad that the darkness can never stamp out the light, right? <laughs> the light always has power over darkness. You know, I've never seen a struggle. Aren't you glad the the control and the power and the sovereignty, so to say, that light has over darkness? I've never seen a struggle when I go into a room and I flip on a light switch. I've never seen a battle between darkness and light. And darkness and light... Puts on a good fight, and after a couple seconds or a couple minutes, the light finally wins out and it lights up the room. As soon as light shows up, darkness is vanquished, right? As soon as light shows up, darkness is vanquished. And light will always conquer darkness. And that's the story of the whole, of the whole Bible, isn't it? We have light conquering darkness in Genesis, and all the way through the book of Revelation, we have light conquering darkness darkness in Revelation as the light, the true light, comes back the second time in the brightness of his coming, and he destroys all those that work in darkness, Satan and the beast and the false prophet, cast them all into the lake of fire. That's the story of the gospel. That's the story of the Bible. That light conquers darkness. Light conquers darkness. So let us go be the light of the world. Let's let us exhibit and be a true authentic example and testimony of the true light. Let us be the light of the world. And understand when you do that, darkness won't like it. You will have some struggles. But remember, the kingdom of light always will win against the kingdom of darkness because light will always conquer darkness. Why? Because it is the kingdom of the true light. So let us go and let our light shine. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid Don't be afraid of the darkness. Don't be afraid of the darkness. Let your light shine, and the Lord will give us victory over that kingdom of darkness.
0: We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway Fifteen, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.